If you recall in James chapter 1, James has been speaking to all the followers of Jesus Christ. Anybody here a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus is not interested in getting people just saved. He's interested in making disciples. If you are going to church, going home and living your life the way you want it, wrong. That is not what God wants. He wants all of you. Every single aspect of your life to be filled with Him, to be filled with His motives, to be filled with what are you doing in this situation, Lord? Even in the midst of your trials and temptations, God would seek to be in the middle of it. Lord, Master of everything. And James speaking to a bunch of Christians, brothers and sisters out there who are going through a lot of trials, and he tells them, he says, listen, first of all, count it all joy when you're going through trials because the trials that you're going through are going to, are opportunities to build up your faith. In God's economy, faith is very important. In man's economy, where I, like where I come from, San Diego, you know, we had this slogan for the, the friars, the padres, you know, you know, keep the faith. You know, that's very shallow because they lose every year. And they still are. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me, Brad, this morning. He's all, hey, have you uh, checked out the Padres lately? Uh, they just lost four to, four to nothing twice against the Mariners. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Brad. I'm keeping the faith. <laughs> but it's such a, just a shallow phrase in this world. But to God, it's, it's the richest Phrase In his economy, faith, trusting him, taking him at his word, what he says, beyond how you feel about a circumstance, you just believe, you put it all in him, you know that what he said is true, no matter how I feel or what's swirling around my mind or what's happening in this world. Isn't that what we desire from our own children? Isn't it? Trust me, obey me. Because what I have for you is best. I know so much more than you. But I want. But I'm going to me. And I feel like my life is often like my 10-year-old son to God. My 9-year-old son to God. You know, just meeting my own desires. Meeting my own wants and my own things. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, here you go. This opportunity, this trial is an opportunity to persevere in faith, to let my faith be developed, to get that stuff out of my life that doesn't bring you glory. And to say, okay, Lord, I'm submitted to your lordship. And it hurts. It's not fun. It's not fun when it happens. It's excruciating. It's crucifying. It's like going to the cross. And sometimes it's day after day after day after day after year after year. But through these trials, God would seek for our faith to be refined, that we would trust him more, to trust him more than we did before, to take his word deeper in our lives, to be changed, to be different people. He would seek to do that through us. And trials is the mechanism to refine our faith, to get rid of the junk, to build up our faith. And creates an opportunity to trust in God more and more and to receive from Him, from Him, all that we need to succeed in our trials. He's our rock in the wilderness. He's the manna that comes down from heaven. How many of you need a rock in the wilderness? Just torrents of living water to pour out and, and, and flow over your soul. 
in the midst of a wilderness where you're dying and thirsty. He is that rock for you. How many of you are hungry and you need your daily bread? Jesus is the manna that came down from heaven. He wants to feed your souls, to take care of you. It's not found, you know, in going through a bunch of religious ceremonies. It's found in in going to Him, to abiding in Him. And trials are an opportunity to push us towards Him. To go to Him, not to find our own way of dealing with it, not to go get medicated, not to go call a talk show or to go to Google and find all the answers, but to go to Him right away. Say, Lord, is this a spiritual problem or am I chemically busted? You know? Lord, what's going on here? Just going to Him and saying, Lord, please, I ask for wisdom, and it's an opportunity to get wisdom. James is talking about. He says, when you go to God, hey, guess what? Ask Him. And don't ask with a double heart. Just know that He's good and He wants to give you what you need. And that might not be what you want. But it's what you need, what He wants you to have in this trial. Go to Him and ask Him. Bust into the throne room of grace. Jump on your dad's lap and say, Hey, Dad, I need help. I'm so messed up. I've sinned again. Give me grace. Come, fix me. I don't even know the solutions. Help. And he will be faithful to answer you. He is faithful. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which are quite a lot. Pretty big reservoir there. And James also reminds us that he's not the one who tempts us when we're in trials. You're going to run into temptation? Evil does not come from the Lord. The Lord doesn't tempt you with evil, nor is he tempted from evil. But he is the author of the lights. He is the God of the heavenly lights, the one who put everything in existence, and he's the giver of the good and perfect gift. You know, so often in our trials, when we need something, we're going after the gift that would meet our needs when the Lord wants to give you the good and perfect gift that is right. How often instead of marriage, we go to relationship after relationship after relationship when the good and perfect gift that God wants to give you is one woman who will love you your whole life. One man that will love you your whole life. Are there going to be problems in there? Amen. Marriage series, right? (laughs) Yes. But that good and perfect gift, he knows how to give, give good gifts in your life. Go to Him. Again, it's just like that story in Genesis. Instead of going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, go to God for the answers. He longs for the relationship with you, to walk with you in the garden of life. He doesn't want you to go and pull from the, the tree and to, and to seek your own methods of knowing. He wants you to go to Him. Go to His Word. Go to Him in prayer. Hang around with brothers and sisters. and He will speak to you and He will encourage you. You're going to see him work in your life. How many of you can testify to that right now? How many of you need that right now? Amen. How many of you are going somewhere else right now? Yeah. Wake up call. Quite often the hard circumstances in our life are a mechanism of God's grace to drive us back to him. They're a mechanism to drive us back to Him. God sets it up to where life isn't fun without Him. James says, He reminds us, 
In verse 21, actually in the verse before that, it says, hey, remember in your trials, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because anger isn't going to produce anything that God wants in your life. Boy, when you get in a trial, don't you get angry? Yeah. Frustrating. He says, hey, listen, the cure for that be slow, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak equals slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Thank you, Lord, that you're not quick-tempered and, and blow us away because he could do that, isn't he? Boy, thank you, Lord. And this is very important. Verse 21 of chapter 1, James tells us, Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Not talking about eternal salvation, but right now. Give you life in the life you're living, breathing in and out. Get rid of the junk in your life that's so prevalent. You know, the reason why we often are failing in our situations and our trials and all this stuff is because we've got too much junk in our lives. Instead of being filled with the Lord and, and all the things that He has for us, what are we filling our minds and our souls with? Get rid of the evil and the overflow of wickedness, wickedness that's clogging our ears and clogging our minds and our thoughts. Well, what are those things, man? You know what it, they are. God's been working on your heart. He's been speaking to you. You know what the overflow of wickedness is in your life. Do what you need to do. Get rid of it, cut it off, unplug it, tune it out, whatever you need to do. And humbly accept the word that planted, uh, planted in your life, which can save you. The word of God is what you need in trial. In your temptation, remember Jesus was tempted? What did he respond with? The word of God. Get it in your life. You're in a trial, you need wisdom, get the word of God in your life. Be in it, feed upon it, and know that it points you to who? points you to the Lord Jesus. It's not an end in itself. It's Him. His words, His precious words in your life. You know, like, you know, don't come to God with your agenda. Humbly accept it. Say, okay, Lord, whatever you say, wherever you're going to go, I'll go, Lord. Whoever your people are, my people will be. I'm yours, Lord. I don't have an agenda. Whatever you want, speak to me and I'll hear Get the word of God in our lives, right? Then James says to us in verse 22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I want to be blessed in what I do, right? So what he's just saying is like, it's like when you hear the word of God, when you hear something the Lord's speaking to you about, you say, yes, amen, and you walk away and you don't do anything about it. It's like looking in the mirror, seeing you've got like one eyebrow on today, you know, and all this type of stuff. And you walk away and you forget what you look like. You didn't do anything about it. Right? That's not what's supposed to happen. And this is really interesting. The danger of being a hearer only is a big one. Listen, everybody. The danger of being a hearer only is a big one. We can be deceived if we listen only. He says, if you listen only, you can be deceived. Just hearing 
can be a deception, especially if you go to church, especially if you read your Bible, especially if you love the Lord. It is a very easy thing. You know, I know many of you, week after week, you know the concepts that we, we talk about. You go to the Bible studies, you go to the prayer meetings, and all these things, and, and you hear. You know, and often I'll be reading something, I'll be listening to a pastor, I'll, you know, or something, I'll go, yeah, amen, right on. Yes, that's right. It's good. I like it. And I walk away and I do nothing about it in my life. I do nothing about it in my life. That's me, okay? I'll preach to you. And God will be hitting me and I'll be listening. And I will turn around and do the exact opposite. And I won't change my life. That's horrible. I don't know if any of you can relate. Just me right now. But just because we agree with what God says doesn't mean we're going to do it. Just because we agree with God, what God says doesn't mean we're doing it, right? Oh yeah, I agree about this, but are we doing it? Are we practicing it? Just because we believe in prayer doesn't mean we're praying. Just because we understand and support the worship of God doesn't mean we're worshipers of God. Just because we write a check to a missionary who's preaching the gospel doesn't mean that we are preaching the gospel. You understand? Lord, help me understand. You know? We fool ourselves. We're deceived. Deception's a crazy thing. It's so dangerous to be hearers only. So James, who really loves these people, and he wants to make sure that they have a true understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he gives them some examples. Those who consider themselves, in verse 26 of chapter 1, religious, and yet don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself. That word deception again. And your religion is worthless. Religion, verse 20, 27, that God our Father accepts in pure, is pure, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world, to look after those who can't give anything back. It's a selfless thing. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We couldn't do anything. We were helpless, lost in our sin. And God gave. Are we polluted? Are our tongues cutting each other up? Then we are deceived. Instead, our words should be few and our actions many. Amen? In the same vein of action, that's when we jump into chapter 2. A faith that we profess is reflected by our actions. And he continues to exhort the church in chapter 2 where we pick up right now. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the super awesome, supreme, can't even touch him, holiness, Jesus Christ, this, this high and lifted up one. The one we serve and we get to talk to and who calls us friend. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, James jumps into a subject that affects us all. We are all guilty of favoritism in one way or the other. 
Suppose, and he gives an example. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. <laughs> Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, judging each other? With evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom to you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Hey, why would you f- show favoritism to those who exploit you, James is saying. You've got to realize this is a group of Jews that has been kind of, um, when you receive the Lord as a Jew, you're excommunicated from your culture, you're your own little people. You're not necessarily well off anymore. You don't have the, the, the accoutrements of society supporting you anymore. It's a difficult circumstance. And he's talking to them and saying, hey, listen, just think about it from a logical perspective. Think about it from a logical perspective. You're being so nice to these people who do horrible things to you. Now, this is where we're going to get into the royal law. Love, the, love, the, you know, love your enemy as yourself. And I think he, they're using this as an, as an excuse. Well, we're loving our enemies, but their motives are impure. And he's going to get into that. But we'll get there in a second. But just, it, it comes to us all. Favoritism. Say tomorrow that you're going to go, uh, you know, you have a meeting, you know, with a very influ- influential person. Let's say we're going to meet with, uh, you know, the Reverend Billy Graham. And we know that tomorrow at 12 o'clock that you have a meeting with this person. If it were you, wouldn't you take the time to, you know, comb your hair and brush your tooth and do everything you need to do? Yeah? Wouldn't you put a little thought into the clothes you're going to wear and think about maybe some questions and where the, what you could possibly get out of the situation or what would you like to see? You kind of just think about things, Right? I would. We all do it. And so you also know that the following day after you meet with the Reverend Graham, you're going to meet with another Billy. But Billy's living out of a shopping cart here in Walla Walla, and he stinks. He's got bad breath, and he smells like alcohol, and he, uh, he's always asking for money. So... Honestly, same preparation, same clothes, same thought process. That's what James is getting at. You're treating, you're judging each other by carnality, your carnal calculations. You're judging it by what you can get out of the circumstance. You're judging a person's heart by what they wear. You're judging a person's heart by, you know, all these types of things. And it's just wrong. 
We all show partiality in one way or another. We all have people we look up to and those we don't. You know, the ironic thing is, is usually the person you want to meet with doesn't want to have, doesn't want to, really doesn't care about you. The person you don't want to meet with would really be open to meeting with you and is like, really would like to have some time. Okay, just me, right? Seriously, I mean, when you get into it. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't want anything to do with you or anybody, you know, of, they're just busy. But what about that kid at school with the, with the zits and the freckles who sits all the way in the corner and no one wants to talk to? Oh, wouldn't it be cool if the quarterback could be saved? Then so many people, no, they're not open. I mean, maybe they are, you can share with them, but I'm just saying, that's great, but what about that other person? person that isn't go reach them go talk to them I bet you they're going to be open to hearing about the Lord that's where Jesus went all the time we show partiality all the time the poor the ones who are not Jesus quoted Isaiah when he's in Nazareth if you remember that he stood, he was, in, he was in his hometown, he came and he opened up the scroll, he started reading, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. God has a heart for the poor. Paul, speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to a very carnal church, just having a lot of trouble there, chapter 1 Verse 26 through 28 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. When you became born again, think of what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not too many smart people in the crowd. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Not many of us have come from noble birth. And God's not excluding that. Look at Paul. Paul was an awesome man of God. And yes, he was all that. God uses all people who will bend their heart and their knee to him. He's saying, in general, most of the people who receive the Lord They don't have much, and they recognize a need for the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyone? Take this concept into your workplace, into your school, whatever you are. Start reaching out out to those who are not. Instead of trying to get one up with your boss or whoever it is, start reaching to the person that's not. Loving them. Talking to them. You're going to find greater rep, uh, um, receptiveness and, and usually those people are going to be more appreciative of you. It's really interesting. Does that mean we don't pray to the, preach to the rich? You know, No, of course not. We're to be spirit-led people. We're spirit-led people. Wherever God puts us, whoever we're in front of, whatever opportunities the Lord gives us, we, we share. We should honor the Lord in those circumstances. But when James is talking about the rich to his church here, 
He's just appealing to his audience's common sense, sense when he's talking about the rich that usually exploit them. Again, that cultural context. He's getting them to think about why they're doing what they're doing. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you treating the rich so nicely when they treat you so poorly? Just think about it for a second. And honestly, I think James was revealing to them their motives. Think about this for a second. I know we're going into lunchtime in our minds. Hold on, come back. (laughs) Obviously, their motives were not out of love. But they were self-serving. They were self-serving. They were going to the rich and giving them the best spot and all this type of stuff, showing them honor. Why were they showing them honor? And that flips it around, if you think about it. When we treat people with favoritism, we're doing them a disservice. Think about, are, are we really truly caring about that person's soul? Are we really caring about that person's needs or are we looking at simply the outside? The problem wasn't that that they were being nice to the rich guy and loving him, fulfilling the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself. The problem was that they were neglecting the poor. You see that? There was a contradiction in their life. They were being good to one group of people and the other ones... They're going, ah, they're treating him in partiality. God's saying, hey, look at, think about it. Think about how I've even given my grace out to people. Most people who accept it are poor. There's the fact. What are you doing? Look at people's hearts. Love them across the board. Stop looking carnally about what you can get out of the circumstance or how you're trying to impress someone. Because you're not going to get that with the poor. You're not going to get that with the widow. You're not going to get that with the orphan. And God's heart would be that we would love people with the love of God, that it would compel us, no matter what you look like, no matter where you're from, what the color of your skin is, no matter what you smell like, that we would love the way God loves And if you want to justify yourself, he's saying here, you better look out if you're playing with the law. Oh, we're just loving them like this. Well, if you're loving them with the royal law, then you're guilty of breaking it because you have not messed with the poor. Because the same person who wrote, do not murder, also said don't commit adultery. And if you're just saying, I just committed adultery, but I don't murder, you've broken the whole darn thing. You want to go into a legal relationship with God? We can go there. But he's saying, be, and he goes on in, in, in the last verse here. He says, speak and act like you've been saved from your sins. Speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, or the law of love, the royal law. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. They weren't showing mercy to the poor, were they? They weren't showing mercy to the poor. Speak and act like you've been saved from your sins and you're under God's law of love. Stop judging each other by showing favoritism and partiality. When you give the rich man the best and neglect the poor, 
You judge poorly by your evil thoughts, and you fail to show mercy towards the poor. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Remember Jesus' teaching? Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, says, Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. We think about finances, but what's the first verse there? Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful, and it will be meted out to you as you have been merciful. I want to have mercy on people, not judgment. That's really my heart. Lord, and and you scrap for every circumstance. How can we have mercy in this one circumstance? How can we find the Lord to redeem the circumstance? Because I would want the Lord to go after me like that. Amen? The cure for favoritism is mercy. You know, God doesn't just say stop doing it. He says start doing something else. If you are, have favoritism in your life, say you value the rich over the poor, you have a problem with being merciful to the poor. Pray that God would give you a heart of mercy this morning. That you would have mercy meted out to you in the measure that you use. Jesus warns us. So let's not play favorites in this church. When someone walks in here, we love each other. doesn't make a difference who you are, where you've come from, what you look like. Amen? When you're in your workplace, it's going to be against everything that this world says, but you do not show favoritism. You love everybody equally. When you're at school, you love everybody equally. You you actually go out of your way to go to the has-nots, the things that are not, and and to make them feel loved and a part of the body of Christ. That's what Jesus did. And we're Christians. We're little Jesuses, little Christ. We're here to reflect Him. And here's the scary thing, because I have one minute left. Favoritism is modeled. Favoritism is modeled. I don't have time to get into it, but go back and look at the story of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Isaac liked who? Esau. Jacob was doing everything he could to get Isaac's love. He was hurt. He grew up. He had a wife who he loved, Rachel. He had a handmaiden named who? Leah. Who did, who did Jacob love? He loved Rachel. Who did Leah love? Jacob. But Jacob didn't love her. He showed favoritism. He was doing these things, and it was open and it was outright. Even to the point, remember when he got his leg dislocated? And his brother Esau was coming back after all these years, and he think he was going to get swarmed, and so he sent out groups of people. Guess what he did? He sent out the, the family he didn't like the most there, then the next family, then the next family, and then the one closest to him was the children of Rachel. And so you get to the story of Jacob. I mean, you get to the story of Joseph, the golden child. Guess why they threw him in the pit? 
We have a choice in our families. We have a choice. Show mercy. Amen?